Hey guys, Naor here. This is an episode I recorded with Ron Arad in his London studio a couple of weeks ago. During the interview, Ron showed me some videos of his uh, work. So we put the videos that he showed me on our website. Just go to 2NJB.com, go to the page of this episode and watch the videos. Enjoy! I'm Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. Humans yearn for beauty from the moment they are born. And though nature has the ability to supply us with pretty impressive amounts of it, we decided yet again to prove to ourselves that we can do better and bigger. When was it that people started designing things? It's hard to know, but one thing's for sure. Today, design is deeply intertwined with each and every aspect of our lives. From the mug of coffee you're just about to sip from, to the handle of your toilet door, and even the app which you're using right now to listen to this podcast. Everything today has to be designed. Enters Ron Arad, an Israeli-born designer and architect based in London. Ron is not only one of the most known Israeli-born designers, he's one of the most renowned designers in the world today, period. His works are sold worldwide, in stores and luxurious auction halls alike. His products were showcased in London's Design Museum, the Barbican Art Gallery, Pompidou Center, and New York's Museum of Art. As an architect, Ron's buildings include the currently under construction Toha office complex in Tel Aviv, which will be Israel's tallest building, and the future UK Holocaust Memorial. From his London studio and offices, we're extremely honored to talk to Ron Arad. This podcast is made in collaboration with The Jewish Journal. Hello, Hello. So, you know, we're seated here uh, surrounded by things that you design, and I wonder, what is it that makes your designs beautiful? Uh, thanks for calling it beautiful, but everything starts with curiosity, like what will happen if we do this? What will happen if we don't do this? Uh, it's all uh, really, really luxury, like the rest of culture. Culture is luxury, surplus to requirements. Culture is luxury. Yeah, culture is surplus to requirements. I mean, when you are hungry, you will eat anything you find and when there's plenty of food you'll st- start putting spices and and look at cookbooks and have chefs and give them stars uh-huh. but it's all surplus to real requirements uh, when you're drowning you'll shout help and when you're not drying you'll write help me if you can I'm feeling down you know it's like I'm not saying it's unnecessary, it's very necessary, it's essential, uh, but... Uh, it's cal- privilege. It is privilege, another way, another word to use, but I mean, when the real needs are sorted, culture begins. But uh, again, to my question, uh, when I look at all these things, I wonder why is it that my mind find it, finds it so amazingly beautiful. What is it um, that my mind... It's a very complicated question. Maybe 
you see things that uh, are not automatically conventional and it makes you contemplate on them and ask yourself why is this like that why I mean you it um, but it is why am I doing it that's what I did ever since I remember myself it's not I wasn't asked uh, it was very interesting to me listening to your introduction um, talking about design and things although lots of things I do is not design um, I don't know like if you know about I mean you look at this here right it, a sketch it's a, it's a well it's a machine uh-huh uh, it's a cast of my fist it has a diamond ring I don't wear rings in real life uh-huh and whatever one draws on an iPad my hand scratches a drawing on it so I invited lots of my friends I don't know who do you, who you might know like Francesco Clemente here David Shrigley so l let me just explain to the, to the yes, listeners yeah. so so basically uh, we see a machine with a hand the hand has a, a ring and the ring carves on the glass what someone sketches on his iPad. iPad yeah and then you invited people to s uh, people came came to the studio to to do a drawing each every every drawing you see on the wall um, is by someone else um, everyone came to the studio except for Ai Weiwei at that time that I did it it was under house arrest so I sent yes. him the app we fixed the time he was sitting in Beijing writing well shall I tell you what he wrote he wrote in Chinese fuck your motherland and people around him wrote the same sentence everyone in their own did he refer to your motherland sorry did he refer to your motherland no no to to ones okay yeah it's a universal thing right um, and uh, we fixed the time he was there with his people writing this profound sentence and we saw it here on this machine being written so he was doing it in Beijing and we were here and there you go um, I don't know there's Anthony Gormley there and Matt Colley show this is mine by the way now why am I talking about this because I was going to ask you is, yeah, this, we is, is this design no it's not design it, it is yeah I mean there's a lot there's a machine there that had to be engineered and, right. and there's technology but it's it, a tool for it's for a piece art. of it is art yes it's not a tool for art it is it art. is art yeah um, but I mean I don't know what I don't want to get into this sort of uh, not so exciting discussion about art and design mm -hmm. but the world is made of closed shops like uh, is it art is it design let's have a conference about <laughs> breaking breaking the borders between art and design I took part in one in Holon in Tel Aviv in my museum and in the introduction when there was a panel and everyone said a sentence and I said look I think the more we discuss breaking the boundaries be between disciplines the more we make them strong right 
I suggest we stop the discussion right now. Now that's what I said. And everyone cheered and the poor woman that ran the discussion said, okay, and the discussion stopped. <laughs> you blew the conference then. I blew the conference <laughs> and it was a hit on YouTube, which is great. I called the show that you mentioned in the uh, Pompidou Center at the, at the MoMA, I called it No Discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh, for two reasons. A, to, that's to describe my temperament. Or my rebellious one. Not exactly rebellious. I mean, I'm not disciplined and I'm not very good at doing what I'm expected to do. Uh-huh. But also it's about not having an exclusive, exclusive membership of a discipline. Um, yes, we do architecture. Yes, we do public art. We do art. We do jewelry, we do we design chairs, we, we do all of that. And um, that's what we do. So let's take a step back. You were born in Tel Aviv. That's true. And you said that you were designing things from the moment you remember yourself? I was, you know, drawing things and sketching and I didn't call it designing, I was doing things, um, drawing things, drawing things that don't exist yet. Like, yeah. is there something you comes to mind when Is there something that age? comes to mind? Um, yeah, I remember doing, doing, uh, taking, uh, um, mirrors from a dentist, you know, the round thing with the stick that looks yes, like, like a golf ones. Thing connecting them to to spectacles so you can look back <laughs> did it work oh yeah i still have it because <laughs> i found myself designing eyewear but this is the first piece of eyewear that i did anyway it's very the, the, uh, you know you, if a bully chases you you can uh, you can find a use for it if you want <laughs> yeah okay and and then so and then you decide to pursue this i i, I have to say there was never a decision. I never decided to do. Th- I never had a five-year plan. I never said, "Ooh, I will do this. I will do that." Um, I didn't decide to study architecture. But when I found myself in London, early seventies, I looked around art schools and and the Architectural Association, the AA, uh, appealed to me because it looked more like an art school the way i imagine an art school to be then than the art schools at the time and the reason was that no one was building anything in england or in london it was a period where in the 70s yeah in, yeah so so people played with ideas with conceptual architecture with and the product was the drawing not the building if you Explain. build like when you look at the Pompidou Center, yes, the uh, Pompidou Center is the result of lots of drawings by by contemporary architects, like a group called Archigram. They never thought that any of the things they will do will 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 be built. Anything that they draw will be built. It was all about ideas and things, and. They had like projects like walking cities, and it was sort of uh, contemplating possibilities of what can be done 
And then a building that you accept now, like the Pompidou Center, could look as if it comes out of the pages of Archigram. And that was sort of the DNA of it was in that period where um, contemporary advanced architecture was on paper, mm -hmm. not built. Things change. That's good. Because of technology. Things change because things change, because things move on. Nothing stays as it is. But it was a time when you were a progressive architect and you built something, you had to apologize, you know, because, right. you know, what are you doing? You traitor. Architecture's to do with ideas and drawings, not with bricks and mortar. And but, but when you came to London... So I, I, found, I found myself studying architecture. And it you studied in Bezalel before? Yes. What did you study there? Uh, I studied uh, environmental and industrial design. Okay, so you already had a degree and then you come here? I didn't have a degree. Ah, okay. I, I studied a very short time. I, and I know they like to claim me, but I, I, <laughs> I, I was there a whole year. <laughs> It's impressive. Yeah. And, uh, and you said you just wound up in London? With no, like, I life brought you here? I didn't pack all my LPs and said, I'm moving to London. I just, I was here and I stayed. So it is what it is. I mean, we can go into why didn't you go back? Why did you stay? But I stayed. You're here. I, yeah. I'm But here. you also, you come and go in Israel a lot and you yeah. operate. I, well, I have lots of friends and family there. And... And projects that I enjoy doing, like this, you mentioned the museum, uh, the design museum. In you mentioned yes. the the Toha building in the center of Tel Aviv. That Just is being built. Right it's now. being built as we speak, and we are phase one is nearly complete. We're starting yeah. phase two. Phase one is really immense. I mean, people should go and see it, even as it's being constructed. They have they have no choice. You can't miss it. <laughs> yes, it's a. And it is sort of a, a mini miracle, very humbling. You know, you sketch and you draw, and then people take you seriously and build it. Yeah, people are crazy. Well, it's really, I mean, there's lots of people, I mean, it is amazing. We have a, a camera that I can show you when we go downstairs. Uh-huh. And we can see, we can have... We can see the building being built live. Ah, you have a live feed. I mean, soon it will be the lunchtime of the workers, which will be interesting to see. I mean, they chose the best place in the building to set up the dining right. space, which is <laughs> nice to see. Um, it's also nice for me that the people that want the, con the contractors, the construction company, mm -hmm. is called Basat. They are from Nazareth and it's an Arab com company mm -hmm. and it is uh, the whole thing is like Babylon I mean Turkish builders Arab constructors it is an amazing tower of Babylon and I, I again I want to go back because if I understand correctly your big break was the rover uh, chair is, is that correct or is it, it is it is it a break uh, yeah I mean that I yeah I <laughs> I, after I graduated uh, from an architectural course, I did my bit and I did 
work for a short time in some architect's office. Mm -hmm. And it didn't take me very long to find out that I'm not cut to work for other people. Okay. Especially other architects. <laughs> and it is a lot more difficult to work for other people after lunch. Yes. So after one lunch I didn't come back and I went to this, I had this idea that that lots of very invested and ergonomically designed and considered compact seats are designed for cars and then they're thrown away um, so I thought I'll make some domestic furniture out of car seats so I went to this scrapyard that's behind the roundhouse like 100 meters from here uh -huh. happens to be to choose which which one shall I use because it, it it wasn't going to be any old car seat I had to choose the one um, so it becomes it and the rover chair won the audition are you comfortable very okay <laughs> uh, and um, so I bought I bought two of them, two red ones. I thought, I didn't know that it's a very rare because later I found in auctions that red ones raise three times as much as a black one. Right. Anyway, anyway, so. Makes sense. Good. <laughs> so I did, I, I used tube and, and cast iron fittings that are, that were designed in 1932 by someone called Gascoigne. And they were designed for milking parlors and cow sheds. The tubes. Not the tubes, the, the, the clamps. The, the clamps. Mm -hmm. the, the, it's, like it's like a refined soft version of scaffolding clamps. Right. It's called key clamps. And so I used them because they were, that's what I could do. I mean, I didn't know how to do things in any different way. So I made this and I had a place in Covent Garden. Do you want to hear this story? Yes. Yeah. I had a place, I had a studio, I didn't know studio for what, but I had a studio <laughs> and I had these two chairs there and, and one yeah. sort of in the Christmas break, I was there, the whole world, it was Boxing Day or something like that, was closed and then uh, someone knocks on the door, the door was made out of a bus door that I uh, retrieved from another scrapyard and, and, and so I said uh, sorry we, we are closed uh, he said but I want to buy these chairs in a French accent <laughs> I said oh, yeah we're open come in and it was turned to be that it's Jean-Paul Gaultier wow and uh, um, he was those days he was coming to London to get inspired by street fashions and things and he had a very good eye for what's happening and after that not because of that um, how did he hear about you though I don't know I mean I was there he saw it and he wanted <laughs> saw something he liked and wow and it wasn't for his uh, for the public it was for his home but after that it became a hit not because of him but he was the one with the nose to see what's coming and I had two guys going up and down the country to all the scrapyards yanking out all the rover seats they could find in any condition and some guy around here a motor trimmer uh, 
stopped accepting any other motor trimming or car seat repairs and he only concentrated on restoring the rover chairs for you yeah and then i got i said well, no, i don't want to become a second-hand car dealer <laughs> so i declared the last hundred all the last hundred was bought by one swedish guy strange <laughs> and um and that was early 80s and then, and then i read an article there was a new magazine for design called blueprint on the first or second issue there was an article about the man who loves chairs rolf Hellbaum, the owner of vitra and there was a picture of him in the rover chair and he says that ronard is one of the most interesting designers to come from london am i a designer <laughs> anyway um then he then i got to know this guy and uh, i worked for vitra um you're not sitting on a vitra chair that's a different company but uh, i did the well temperature for them da, da, da. Uh, a week a week and a half ago they opened an exhibition in vitra uh, they they gave it a name it's called yes to the uncommon that's not my name of things of mine from their collection. Where is it, the exhibition? In, in, in the Vitra compound in Weilam Rai, near Basel. In Basel, okay. It's Frank Gehry's breakthrough. His first European building was the Vitra Design Museum. I see. And now it's a big campus of, and Herzog and the Miron did a place for the collection. And that is where the show, the show is on now. I don't know when this podcast is coming. Soon. The show, show is now. I, by, I, the, by the way, last yes. night there was an opening of a show of my work in a gallery in New York. Okay. Uh, Friedman Bender. That used to be my gallery in New York. But um, uh, they, did, they did another sort of period show, like 85 to 95. Okay, we'll, we'll put links to these. Yeah, I, yeah. I wanted to ask you, though, back to the chairs. What is it about designers and architects and chairs? Because it seems that every important architect has a chair. What is it about chairs that, you know, attract... Do you know, do you know any building by Charles Eames? Uh, nope. But you know his chairs. Yes. He's an architect. Look, um, it is nice to take something that we know everything about. We know the height of a chair. It's not brain science to make a chair comfortable. You know the inclination of the back, of the seat, you know the height. It's almost a given. But then you, um, you find something else that is genuinely new about it, or another, some aspect or something that has, um, that's, that's what I do at least. Um, and it's like the form is there it's like a sonata or in, in poetry there's like given forms and then you you have a go at it you know it's like a, and also it's not only the way it looks it's not only the way it behaves no, it's also different when someone is sitting on it and it is it is it is a very um, 
very big part of our life. Yes. I mean, the world is changing. You know, used to have lots of shelves and full of books, but it's all now pixels. And and we used to have lots of records, but now every all the music library is here. Right. But we still, you and me now, are sitting on chairs. Yes. And the table table height hasn't changed much, and the chairs have not changed much. Um, maybe they will, maybe they'll disappear. But so far, they're hanging on. Another thing is that the, con- the modern chair peaked in, in the 50s with Eames, with Jakobson, with Sarinen, with Pierre Paulin, with and they did the revolution and it left us very little to do. I mean, like Vitra, the company I mentioned, are still, I think the main thing they do is churning out Charles Eames chairs. Yes. Um, They sold more Jakobson chairs than there are Danish people on earth. And in a way, if there was a, if someone said, "Ooh, no more chairs, please, illegal to design chairs," the world would wouldn't be, the world will continue functioning. But it would be less fun to live in. Yeah, it goes back to this luxury we talked about. Yeah. You know, surplus to requirements. Yeah, but the chair is still interesting. Y- you mentioned library which I, I have to ask you about your library. Um, how, how did you come up with that uh, particular It's again, design? it's like, you know, like the, like the conversation about the chairs, you know, what are shelves, like lines, you put books, yeah, great. So, um, I think, you know, the bookworm. Yes. It started when I moved into into a new flat and I just looked at the empty wall and with my finger I, I traced something vaguely an S-shape for the shelves and then I made it and then it became a, a, a product and then I, it used, used the flexibility of the material that is taken from the flexibility of the material of the well temperature which is uh, you can see it there through the to the curtain. Yes. It's made out of very thin tempered steel. Right. And it has no memory. That means you bend it and you let it go, it will come back. Uh-huh. And the curve it produces are natural curves and they're not my design. Uh, they're nature. In your introduction you talked about the beauty of nature. I mean there's nature in in the way we impose our will on materials and what the material will do there's a natural element there of right what, you know anyway so i did that and then i thought what am i doing taking something that's sprung and and can move and then i fix it to the wall and it stops so then i did another piece that's called this mortal coil where it was freestanding and and it was sort of shaking if you took a book away if you stole a book the library will will bounce a little bit. Right, we'll react. We'll react. Who's taken my book? <laughs> and then I thought, hmm, you know, you, 
like I thought of this gyroscopic movement of something that, like a, like a, uh, how do you call it, ball bearing, like a huge ball bearing that you roll and and the shelves stay horizontal because there's weight at the bottom. Oh, I can have a library that I can move from one room to the other. I can wheel from one room to the other. Um, and, you know, you, it's again, what if? What if I do this? Cur curiosity. It, it would be very sad if I was the only one that was curious about it and delighted by what I find. I wouldn't do the next thing, but because I find that other people are also delighted and curious about what I do, that allows me to to do other things. Uh, and yes, I did. I did do lots of libraries. I'm sure you know about the farmer and the cowman. It's a bookshelf. When I did a bookshelf for someone for a client in Rome, and as I've drawn it, yes. It reminded me of something. Ooh, it looks like America. So what if America was really a bookshelf? So that's... It's a, it's a bookshelf in the shape of the continent. Of the States. It doesn't have Canada in it. Right. And it, and, and yeah, and the shelves are divided like the States of, of America. Right. You can describe what you see. Yeah, so I'm seeing a video where they um, assemble what's... Oh, they assembled the actual library, state by state. Can I get this video, you think? Of course. Okay, so I'll just put, post it. Um, but you know, I... I uh, that's amazing. There's a huge wall and a library full of the states of, of America. You'll see it full of roots in a second. Wow. But you know what comes to mind when I see this, and also when I see your spiral-shaped... Also when I see the spiral-shaped library, I, I, what comes to mind is how, how does one balance between beauty and efficiency? Sometimes those two principles, right, because... Uh, I think they're very, good, very great friends. Yeah. Um, and, but the spiral one... Yeah. Um, it's uh, there's less place to put books on it, right? So maybe the function is not only to put books. Right. Maybe maybe there's an, another role in life, which is which is to please to, your to please senses. you. Yeah, to please your senses and to and to the thing about the bookworm, it gave people the idea that they are taking part in designing it or in they it's they do it they just get a roll and then they do what they want with it how it is you fix it to the wall as you want you can, you can i see yes it can be spiraling it can be essing it can be straight it can be so how does it work like the customer you, you get a roll i mean there's this there's, there's the industrial one yes. made by cartel it's made of plastic extruded plastic they did it because they thought they'll get column inches and it will be it's very photogenic but it for many many years it was the best-selling product and they extrude over a thousand kilometers 
every year, which is longer than Italy. Yes. So um, Italy is pretty long. Italy so. is very long. Um, you can you can pick the shape. Of, you you can adjust it as you see yeah. fit on your wall, basically. Yeah. By the way, the if you go to Google and you press bookworm images, you won't see worms. You see endless amount of variations. Variations that different people did or still do as we speak. One thing I have to ask you also about is the buildings because it seems okay yeah you studied architecture but at a certain point you you really decide to embark on on designing buildings um, I told you before I haven't decided anything yeah but it just I'm happened not, it happened I, I I found myself better than embarked I found myself doing things and then architecture came to me like when I was asked to make a proposal for the foyer of the Tel Aviv Opera House, mm-hmm. which uh, I won. I didn't do, I didn't do, an archi- didn't start an architectural practice that relies on getting more jobs and more extensions and more that and, and more bad habits. Um, so it is sort of still a progressive kin- kindergarten here <laughs> so. And, and so a progressive kindergarten but when I read you won the uh, UK it's a memorial and there's a learning center okay a museum um, so I was wondering how does one approach to design such a structure with s- such you know um, it's a very variations it's a very very important project Uh, in England, in London, by the House of Parliament, um, in a park that lots of people are very protective about. Which park? It's the Victoria Tower Garden. Okay. There's a Rodin sculpture there, and there's the Buxton Memorial for the end of slavery, and there's this little, there's a thing for the suffragettes. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a, it is a good... Um, it's, an, it's also in our times I think it's a very significant project to do um, so how do you approach such a sensitive how do you approach it? I mean the whole do you want to see a video of it sure now uh, yeah um, okay there's a video you're lucky you have music by my brother oh your brother is a musician yeah, So that's the park right and I didn't want we didn't want to put a sculpture on a pedestal and I, I am against any literal symbolism okay the idea was to do when from here it looks as if business as usual you know we are at the feet of the temple for democracy the parliament when you walk you discover you The memorial that has it has like 22 passages and you and it's a visceral thing it's not only a visual you, you go and you experience it it grows sort of pretty, grows from uh, the park and when you enter on your way to the learning center it's you're almost on your own because the, the, the passages are narrow it's uh-huh. not like a stadium so you go into one of those. 
and there's a different experience when you leave the learning center and you, you see the sky again, the trees, you're back in the world. Right. So you wanted to convey, I guess, a kind of um, lonesome experience. Uh, that as well, yeah. And here there's optimism, like you, can, you come out and there's... It's very complicated and the learning center is designed by uh, David Ajay. Okay. So. And when it, when it will be done? Uh, 2022. But it, we are active working on it. I see. I like the view from the river. Looks amazing. Looks really unique. It has to be. It has to be. Yeah. yeah. We'll put, we'll put uh, the video on, on our website, guys. Um, before we go, do you have a tip or some tips for young architects and designers? What's wrong with old ones? Well, <laughs> I'm not a, maybe, I'm not, you know, yeah. maybe okay. they need tips too. But. What tip in what, which horse is going to win the race? Or no, how, how, to, how to be unique, I guess. Well, don't try and be the new someone else, the new Philip Stark or the new... Uh, Ron Arad. Uh, you said it. <laughs> try to be yourself. I mean, do, do what you enjoy doing and what you are good at and what you can afford to do and, and fight for the things that you think, that you think are worth fighting for. Um, it's very hard to, to form your own language in designing art. I mean, some people have their own language, their own way of. I mean, it, it, and some some people are very happy to join uh, the troops. I have nothing against it, you know. I mean, like the world is full of people that are, you know, just joining right so maybe that's a good tip join don't have to be special you know just uh, I don't know depends <laughs> what you want to do if and it's not an easy profession it's it's a you have to love it I yeah guess. Uh, yeah or you have to be cured from loving it <laughs> you do, so. um, do, do you see yourself uh, more as a British designer or Israeli designer or nationless uh, I'm nation, nation, nation neutral. Uh, look, everyone is, everyone is uh, trapped in the language that the first learn and the places. I'm an Israeli. I was. I'm from Tel Aviv. I built my world and my view of the world in Israel. Slightly different Israel than we are experiencing now um, I thought me and my friends that we are the center of the world that we know everything and what we don't know is not worth knowing uh, we had the advantage of being in the periphery so like every new copy of art form we sort of devoured and drank with such thirst and everything was so important. I guess it was. It's less important 
to a young kid in New York that is, yeah, it's the, so there's, there's the, uh, the intensity of being in the periphery. Um, and it was more the periphery because there was no internet. Now the world is a little smaller and, and then there was the quality of being an outsider here, which is also a very useful quality. You're still feeling an outsider here, in a uh, sense. In in some ways, I am. I you don't become English. <laughs> I'm British, yeah. but I'm not. I can show you my passport, but but uh, you don't become English. What what do you become? A Cockney? <laughs> uh, a Geordie? <laughs> I mean, it's 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 uh, you don't. Right. Slightly different when you go to America. You can become American just about. But you don't become English. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's. Um, so, you know, like. You have some freedom. Being an outsider has its limitation, but has some freedom. But it didn't disturb me. Uh, or didn't disturb them. Make me. Uh, the a professor at the Royal. College of right, Art. Right, you for, taught for many years. And, uh, that. and it didn't dis- bother them making me a Royal Academician. And, uh, Maybe you'll be a sir even one day. <laughs> and it. No comment. <laughs> no, no comment. Uh, um, it is. I, I'm often asked to, there's an event about Israeli design in Los Angeles, do you want to, we'd love you to, and I said it will be cheating, it will be misleading because this place and everyone that's working here, even the Israelis that work here, are from here and I built my professional life Right. Or, or not so professional here. And it's it will be misleading to to call it Israeli design. Maybe it's a love child from Israel and Britain. Uh, maybe. <laughs> but, but yeah. But uh, So LA listeners, 15th of September, Gallery of? It's called Over the Influence. Over the Influence, where? I can give you the address. Okay, we'll put, I'll put a link. In mm-hmm. New York... No, in New York it's now, it's in, in Friedman Benda, in I think 26th Street. Okay, um, so we collaborate with the Jewish Journal, check them out at jewishjournal.com and we accept donations, so feel free to uh, go to 2njb.com slash donate and throw some money at us. And that is it. Ron, thank you so much for having us. Thanks. Bye.